Evening, church. For those who don't know me, my name is Vindo, or you can call me Dexter. Um, any will do. And I'm just so happy today that, you know, there were so many people getting baptized, even though it was really cold, but they're like, nah, I still want to get in there. So give them another round of applause. I'm just so happy with them. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. So when I was a bit younger, I used to wake up at 5 a.m. to go jogging with my friend. But now I wake up at 5 a.m. because of my little one. She keeps me up. Okay, I'm not even sleeping yet. And it's like 5 a.m. And I'm like, come on, please. Okay, change her diaper. She does another one and change it. And I'm like, again? But back then, 5 a.m., I would used to run with this friend named Paul. Now, we'd be running at this this place called Kangaroo Point. Now, this Kangaroo Point, it's in Brisbane. It's a beautiful place to run. It is the joggers and the cyclists' dream. There is a running lane and there is a bike lane. And so we got to the place at 5 a.m., me and my friend Paul. On your marks, get set, go. And then I just eat my dust, Paul. And I just outran him because I'm faster than him. And I'm running for a while now. He, dis- he disappeared from my peripheral and then he's totally gone because I'm totally beating him. Because I'm pretty fit. Pretty, pretty good. And so <laughs> I'm just, I kept running and running. But then I turned the corner. And as I turned the corner, what I saw coming at me was this guy on a road racer bike speeding and, and coming right towards me. Now time slowed down. I put on my thinking cap. It was like Max Payne. Bullet time. And I'm thinking, all right, if I, if I dodge to my right, he may turn to his left. But if I dodge to my left, he might turn to the right and well, he'll still hit me. So you know what I did? I gave him the decision. No, the ball's in your court. I'm just going to stand still. <laughs> I even did this. Don't hit me. And what was the result? He hit me. We both flew There was carnage, there was screams, there was blood and guts. I'm just kidding, there was no guts, but there was blood and there was groaning. Uh, His bike is is in a mess, he's on the floor, he grazed his knee, the the bike chains have came off and and I'm like, my chest really hurts and, and I'm just regaining consciousness and I'm just trying to get myself up and all I heard was cussing. Beep this, beep that. Why did you run in the wrong lane? Rah, rah, rah. And then I'm getting up and I look at the ground and there I see it's a running man. Now this guy's in the wrong. But he's accusing me and he's cussing at me and, he feel, and I felt like he was going to beat me up. Like he was just so angry. And I'm just standing up. No, this, this, it's a running man and he's just so angry. Nothing's coming into his head anymore. But then while he's cussing at me, I hear... Oh, what's going on? And I look back and I'm like, finally you're here. (laughs) Paul came. And the man that hit me finally started to calm down. Why? Because Paul is also Asian and he kind of put two and two together. Oh, Asians, they go in packs and clans. (laughs) Oh, they mess with Asians. They're they're usually not alone. (laughs) But usually people aren't scared of two Asians. Because Asians are pretty small. But what I didn't tell you about Paul, if you don't know him, he is actually over two meters tall. 
And he is a gun. He is a unit. He was back in the army at that time. He, he, he gets sent off to Iraq and he just come back for a little holiday. Now, this guy is a lean killing machine. This guy, he does, yeah, he's a black belt in Taekwondo. He does MMA. He does boxing, all the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, ninjutsu, everything. He does everything. Now, this guy started to calm down because he saw that me and, and my buddy was there. My buddy was there. Started to calm down. And I will never forget this moment. Because as he just calms down, he just picks up his bike and he's, you know, just making a way, you know, making his way downtown. And Paul is just standing there, giving him a death. What up? What up? Like Paul was ready to fight. And when he was gone, I felt pretty relieved. And I will never forget what Paul said. Oh, don't worry, man. He's just picking on you because you're small and skinny and pale. But I got your back. I don't know if he was trying to comfort me or he was just being competitive because I beat him. But I'm pretty sure in the, the cyclist's mind was, you know, I'll take on the skinny hobbit, but I, I ain't taking on Yao Ming. And so he just walks away. But church, have you ever experienced this? Where, where you, you, you ran into a problem or a problem ran into you, but without you doing, didn't need to do anything it was resolved. You just stood there and watched. Has that ever happened to you? Now, this was just an earthly friend who loves me, who comes to my aid and comes to my rescue. But how much more would your heavenly father come to your rescue? And today we'll be looking at a fairly famous story in the Exodus where the Israelites just were at their wits end and God stepped in and he fought for them. God stepped in and he stood up for them. He pretty much did everything and all the Israelites had to do was to not be afraid, stand still and watch. That's all they needed to do. But before we get into this famous story, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this famous Exodus story, may we see your son in the midst of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the story of the parting of the Red Sea, the story of Exodus, it's a very, very famous story. The, Disney even made an animated film called The Prince of Egypt. Anyone seen it? It's a good movie. Growing up in Sunday school, there used to be the song that goes, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go. Okay, no one knows. You're meant to say, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's so famous and it's so important in the biblical narrative that this events get mentioned again and again all throughout Scripture, even into the New Testament. Now, church, to actually understand this story, to understand this context, would you travel back in time with me? Back into a crowd where there was around two to three million people. Now you're walking around and those who are a bit claustrophobic, I'm, I feel sorry for you because you're not breathing properly now because it's just so cramped. Two to three million people traveling and you're hearing the conversations that's getting set out. What you hear is, dude, 
It was crazy. The now turning into blood, the, the locusts, the frogs, the flies, the boils. But, but, but what happened last night? Oh, I never heard so much wailing and agony within all of Egypt. What happened was Pharaoh, his eldest kid at midnight, passed away. And there Pharaoh is holding his, his firstborn son and, and wailing. The whole palace was in turmoil. And in fact, the jailer's kid, that little brat died as well. In fact, every household that didn't have the blood of the lamb plant, painted on their doors, someone passed away. It was nuts. And suddenly that very same night, Moses came to us and said, you guys can go. I thought, I thought Mo was, was trolling, but he was legit. It was legit and, and, and Pharaoh let us go and here we are and we're walking off into freedom. This is bizarre. I still can't wrap my head around this situation. We've been living in Egypt for 430 years and now we're free. I don't know how I feel about this. While the Israelites were discussing these things, another scene was being take place. It was in the, the courtroom of Pharaoh. As the scouts came back to, to report back to the king, he said, My king, the Israelites have left Egypt. They have, they're heading, but it seems like they're heading to nowhere. My king, they're like headless chickens. It seemed like they're, they're wandering around in confusion. In fact, they have encamped near Piharoth between Middol and the sea opposite to Baal Zephon. In other words, my king, they have went to this area where it's full of mountains in front. One side is a desert and the other side is the sea. In other words, my king, they have hemmed themselves in. They have boxed themselves in. They've got nowhere left to go. They are walking around in confusion. And at this, it finally hits Pharaoh. What have I done? We have lost their services there's still so many pyramids left to build in Egypt. Okay, militaries of Egypt, two arms tonight. We will take back what is ours. Ready my steed, ready my chariots, and hurrah, the army said. Very soon the order was passed down from general to officers to foot soldiers, and they assembled and they gave chase. And you know what? They actually caught up to a slow pace moving Israel. Now, if you were Israel, just imagine yourself. You were in a scene where you were laughing, where everyone was joking, celebrating. The Bible says in verse 8 of 14, who was marching out boldly. They were marching out boldly. So in other words, when you were walking, you had pumpness in your step. You had confidence in your steps. But then you stop. Because you see the dust is getting stirred in the horizon. And as they got closer, you started hearing the hoofbeats of horses. You started hearing the roaring thunder of chariots. And what you see is your old master. The old master that once owned you. You see in that midst of that stampede, Pharaoh is leading the charge. Fear and 
terror takes hold of you. You start hearing people cry out to the Lord and you start hearing people complain to Moses. They started complaining. Was, was it because there was no grave in Egypt that you have brought us out of Egypt to die? See, 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 I, 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 I kind of told you guys, this is a bad idea. Why did we follow him in the first place? They continue. Didn't we tell you to leave us alone and let us serve in peace to the Egyptians? And now they're pissed. They're going to probably kill us all. Why did you lead us into the desert to die? And, and they were so angry that they just wanted to complain and complain. And they even went to Moses' brother and they said, you done messed up, Aaron. <laughs> I don't know if that happened, but in my imagination it did. <laughs> and as a people, when their Israelites saw what once held them captive, so determined to get them back, the people started to grumble. They started to murmur. They started to question God's deliverance and His motive. Now, before we condemn the Israelites, now, before we can point the finger and say, hey, guys, how could you be so bold one moment and so terrified the next? Haven't you remembered haven't you forgotten all that the lord has done for you you guys suck now before we can even throw shade on them let me tell you church the israelites they're us they're us church i know you might be wondering and thinking tonight dexter i can't relate to this because i was never chased down by chariots before and i don't think i will ever walk through parting waters i don't think i will ever experience that but church, let me tell you, don't think that this story doesn't relate to you. Because in the New Testament, when it talks about this event, it is symbolic to what happens to us spiritually. This is the reality, church. This is the Christian experience. This is the reality of our constant struggle with sin. This is the reality of the ongoing fight between the Spirit and and the flesh. Here's what I mean. Our sin doesn't want to let us go. And sometimes we don't want to let our sin go. Pharaoh is the representation of our sin, our temptation, and our idols. Because if we're honest, there are days where we look up and all we see is Pharaoh. And we think of the delusional good times we had under his rule. As the Israelites said, we had it good in Egypt. Why on earth did we leave and follow you, Mo? Now, this isn't the first and the last time that they say this because a few chapters later, they even say, in Egypt, we had meat to eat, but here we're just hangry. We're so hangry at God. But let me tell you what, these guys, they were just tripping. If you read the earlier chapters of Exodus, you will find out these guys were in misery. These guys were in slavery. And that's why they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord saw that and heard that and had compassion. This gut-wrenching feeling. And that's why he sent Moses. And when he sent Moses, they started to complain. But that's us. We complain. 
We say, yeah, we follow you, Moses. We follow you, God. But the next moment, we can end up complaining. And I know following God is hard. I admit it. We are often tempted to look back. Why? Because the human nature loves the familiar. Because the familiar brings about comfort and pleasure. Now, I have a friend who's, who's a drug addict. And I'm very close with him, and I'm always trying to counsel him. And he tells me he feels so guilty and he feels so bad. Why? Because instead of using that money to bring bread to the table to feed his wife and his two-year-old daughter, he's using it on drugs. And when events come like birthdays and Christmas, instead of buying them presents, he's spending it on drugs. And he knows drugs is bad for him. And he knows that this is tearing away his life and tearing down his marriage. He knows that. But why does he always fall back into drugs? Why? Because it's comfortable for him. It's his familiar. It's a place where it brings him pleasure. It's a place where he can escape. Escape from the reality of his financial situation. Escape from the reality of just reality in general. That's why he's always leaning back onto drugs. Now maybe tonight you aren't into drugs. But maybe your slave master is pornography. Maybe it's gaming. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your studies or your grades. Maybe you like giving into those gods because of the quick pleasure that they offer you. Maybe you feel special because the moment you try to leave them, they chase you back. They want you back. They pursue you back. And you feel, oh, someone wants me, and you go back to them. But let me tell you, church, why they pursue you. It's only for them to use you and abuse you. And at the end, destroy you. It only leads to death. I also remember going down to Sydney with my two best friends. And um, my younger days, before I was a pastor, we, we crashed a house party. Now it was, the music was like, oots, 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 and there was like alcohol everywhere, people doing crazy stuff, and we went in. Now, I didn't drink, I was the responsible one, I had to take care of these two, so we were walking around, we entered this house, and me and my friend, we looked around, and then we realized our trio is down to two. Now one guy went missing. Then we looked all over him like, where did this guy go? And we're looking around, we're looking around. And when we finally saw him, he was taking shots after shots after shots. Shots, shots, shots. And he was like, all right, mate, you got to calm down. You got to calm down right now. And so we grabbed him. We sat him down and was like, okay, no more for you. You're getting off. You're getting out of your head, man. And we sat him down. He's like, okay, okay. We turned around, he's gone again. <laughs> now this happened a few times until we finally found him in the toilet, hugging the toilet, sick as he can be, vomiting. And he's saying, Dexter, I'll never do this again. 
I'll never get this drunk again. And I'm thinking to myself, that's funny because I've heard that line many times before. Not just sometimes do we yearn the pleasure, but in some sick, twisted way, we also yearn the misery. This is why we keep running back to our former slave masters. That's why I've counseled many girls. And somehow they keep finding themselves relationships after relationships. And it's always the same type of guy, same type of jerks. They keep getting themselves into dangerous and abusive, manipulative relationships. Why? Because they don't know anything else. They only know how to be treated that way. That's why they keep turning back. Maybe for some of you, it's a trauma in your life. Maybe it's a depression that you struggle with, this anxiety that you have within you. And oftentimes you look around you, you find yourself stuck between a hard place and a wet place. And Pharaoh and his army is bearing down on you and you feel like you can't breathe. You feel like there's nowhere left to run and you feel like there's nowhere left to hide. And you feel at that very moment, this is it for me. This is the end of me. Church, have you ever experienced that? Anyone ever experienced that? But look at what the people did. What, what are we out to do? Look at verse 13 to 14. Exodus 13 and 14. This is what God says. Listen up. Because if you get this, your life is going to change. God says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see. That God will deliver you. That God will fight for you. And all you need to do, church, is to be still. Here's how often we see the world. When something doesn't go according to our plan, when something goes sour and it turns south, when, someone takes a, when something takes a turn for the worse, we lose our minds. And our automatic assumption goes like something like this. God saved me to bring me to this point to disappoint me. He brought me all the way out here to embarrass me. Maybe God brought me here, but then after that, he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I did something wrong and maybe I'm being punished. That's why I'm in this sort of situation. Now, you don't say this out loud, but your body language says so. That time when you shake your fist at the heavens or that time when you point your fingers at others and you're complaining to God. God, I'm looking at their life. And they're so happy-go-lucky. And I look at my life, I'm so depressed, I go yucky. God doesn't love me anymore. God, God, you love them more, not me. And here's the problem. When we hear some hoofbeats of some horses, and when we hear some wheels of, of, of chariots, all of a sudden, we, as the people of God, as the children of God, forget we forget who control the Nile, the locusts, the flies, and the frogs, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and even the angel of death. And all of a sudden, our faith is gone, and all of a sudden, all we could see is an army. 
All we could see is the problem. All we could see is the crisis. All we could see is the bad situation. And we fail to see God whom defeated those things again and again and again. The principle of the gospel cannot be clearer here, more clearer here, church. Do not be afraid. Stand still and just watch. Because there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can add. Nothing. Church, this is an invitation for you tonight to to not just look at yourself and your crisis and your problems. No, this is an invitation to look at God. Because it's the Lord who's going to take action on your behalf. Just look back at our passage. We know how this story ends. Moses, he raises his staff and the sea parts. And the Israelites made it safely to the other side and Pharaoh and his army got swept in by the tides. Why were the Israelites fine and Pharaoh and his armies not too fine? Why? Let me tell you why. Because they have a mediator. Because they have a mediator. As the whole crowd was crying out, why did you bring us all the way out of Egypt? We had a good in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to die? You should have left us alone. Look at what verse 15 says. Verse 15. And God says to Moses, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Now let's just stop there. Let's slow down for a minute and, and just think, isn't this strange? The people are crying out. The people are complaining. Yet God here kind of rebukes Moses. And I'm reading this and there's no indicator where Moses even joined them in their complaint. Now, when I was studying this text, some commentator says, well, that's because Moses did join in. And hence why Moses got rebuked by God. But some other commentators take a different stance and a different view. And I stand with them. Because later on in verse 16, we see Moses raises his staff and his hand stretched out and the sea, what happens? It parted. So here we have a man that identifies so close to the people, so close to the people that their guilt was upon him. But yet we also have a man who's, who so identifies with God, who's so close with God that God's power was working through him. So here we have a mediator. Here we have a man in the middle. Church, are you still with me? And guess what? Jesus Christ is a better Moses. Jesus Christ is a better mediator. He's a better mediator. Who is not just close to to man and who's not just close to God, but who is fully man and fully God. He is the perfect representation of both groups. The perfect mediator. Moses raised up his staff and stretched out his hands. But our Jesus is a better mediator. As he got nails through his hands and through his feet, the crown of thorns upon his head. As he was raised up for all to see, on that cross, he also stretched out his hands. And in that moment, there was finally a clear path for us to the Father. Jesus Christ, 
the mediator created that path that was was impossible to reach God without him, but he made it possible. And we can come directly to the throne of God. Are you there, church? Yes, armies may be marching out against you. But tonight the Lord says, do not be afraid. Be still and see. Now let's go back to verse 13. The word for salvation there is very unique. And you don't see this in the English, but you see this in the Hebrew, the original language. Now that word for salvation can also be translated. That it's, the, it's, the word of, it's the word Yeshua. Same root word as Yeshua. So you can read verse 13 as be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Or you can read this as be still and see Yeshua. Or be still and and see Jesus. Why? Because your salvation solely relies on Him. Are you there, church? Do you see Him? Jesus is saying you to you tonight, look and see. See, as far as from the east is to the west, see, have I not removed your sin? Who then can accuse you? Which court could they bring you in? Because every court belongs to me. I have silenced your accusers. I have already deemed you righteous. What else could they say against you? Who can lay claim to you? Who dares to lay claim to you when I have already said you are mine and I am yours? You are not longer slaves you are my co-heirs in my kingdom whom I have set free is free indeed you don't need to fear not because I have battled with death and you know what I have risen and I'm seating at the right hand of God death has lost its sting Pharaoh and his armies cannot do a thing because why I'm your king I'm your king So church, the next time we wonder, the next time we wonder if God just brought us out here to to leave us there, to be buried out at sea, and if the next time we wonder if, if God loves us or not, I want you to see Jesus on the cross, what He has done for you. Remind yourself, He was the one that was buried in the sea of wrath for your iniquities, your sin and my sin. We deserve the death. We deserve the punishment. But remember, God didn't put to death someone else's firstborn. No. He put to death His own firstborn. And once again, church, if we can put ourselves in the crowd of two to three million people crossing that Red Sea, there will be a group of us who's very jolly who still have pumpness in our steps, who's just excited, who's just admiring the view where there's one wall of water on one side and another wall of water on another side and you're just so excited and you're admiring the view. Oh, so this what looks like under the sea. Oh, so that's what Ariel's seeing. Oh, this looks awesome. And he's so excited and you're walking and you're, and you're saying, God's got this. But yet there will be another group of us 
who's not so courageous, who's a bit timid. And we're walking in shivering fear. And we're saying, I hope God's got this. But you know what, church? Both group crossed over from death to life. Why? It wasn't about their quality of faith, but the object of their faith. Jesus is the sole object of our faith. So this whole Red Sea crossing, yes, it happened historically, but let me tell you, church, it's also a metaphor of what happens to us spiritually in baptism. We have crossed over from death to life. And now there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we can add, but all that we are to do is to not be afraid, be still, and see. Because God is the God who fights for us. God bless you, church.